0: Well, we're in Second Timothy, and as we see here, it's really important. And we're going to be going through Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 26, but real important to know the power of God's Word, that the power of God's Word will change your life. The more you get into God's Word, the more change you will be evidenced in your life. And there's no way around it that God impacts your life through the power of his word and that's why we're going through these verses here and especially here in second timothy because what we're seeing here is how paul a seasoned man of god wrote to a young man who was going through a difficult struggle in in raising a church so what we see here in second timothy chapter 2 is the theme is to be ready to be useful for god we want to be ready we want to be useful for god what are the things that we need to do to get ready? What are the things that we need to do to be useful for God? I know I want to be useful for God. You want to be useful for God, right? We all want to be, have a purpose in our life that's going to change the world before we leave here. We want to each have a fulfilling the purpose that God has called us to. And the only way we're going to know that purpose is through God's Word. That's why 2 Timothy chapter 2, here Paul is telling Timothy... These are the things you need to do, Timothy, in order to be used by God, because there's going to be false teachers coming into the church, false uh, prophets, there's going to be heretics, there's going to be people that are going to try to violate the church with their sinful lifestyle, but you, a man of God, defend the truth, defend the faith with God's word. So, let's read this verse together in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11 regarding John Mark it says only Luke is with me get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for ministry now this is really important here because John Mark as we see through the book of Acts he was a uh like the nephew to uh, Barnabas nephew or related to Barnabas and what's that a cousin I always thought it was a nephew but anyway some some relation to Barnabas and what had happened is that here are these two guys. Uh, John Mark says, I want to come and help you guys in the ministry. And I want to be involved in this ministry. And I want to, I want to, he's all on fire and getting, getting all enthusiastic. Then all of a sudden, John Mark disappears. He, and, and uh, he doesn't fulfill his obligations. And he's like, he's gone. And then the next time. He says, I want to go, uh, this time, guys, can you use me? I'm going to go uh, this next trip with you. And Paul says, no way are you going to come. You didn't, you, you dropped out in that last time, and you, you just didn't, you signed up, but you didn't show up. So how am I going to trust you anymore? I'm not taking you with me. And you're not useful for, to me. Anybody that just is going to violate their commitment is not going to be used by me. But guess what? Eventually, John Mark proved himself worthy and he showed Paul I can do it and I'm going to be committed to the gospel and he and he worked at it and that's why here in second Timothy 4 it says only Luke is with me get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful for to me for the ministry Paul is in prison and and he's writing these letters but yet John Mark was faithful and I love that word useful because there was a time that he was not useful but now he is useful and that's why it's so... I'm going to back up this microphone here. This is kind of bump into this guy. Some of the props here on the stage are... <laughs> you know, preachers are actors. We need space to move and, and all this. So, uh, But here... And I think this has happened to me in my life. I've signed up for things. And that's why I tell young people, don't get overcommitted. Because when I was in college, I, I was dating. Uh, I was involved in the... Uh, college ministry I was you know you're, you're working part-time and and you're trying to just I remember back in those are the days when the the car uh, the gas remember the long lines even to get gas I ran out of gas going to a final exam and having to it's like, you know, you call the professor, I ran out of gas, oh sure, yeah, your dog ate the homework and all that kind of stuff, and, but no, I really, back then they really believed you, I ran out of gas, I was on my way, because it was so, it was hard to get gas, and, uh, but I was overcommitted, doing too much, and I would sign up for, I'll be there at the prayer breakfast, when, and I wouldn't go, so that's why I tell people, don't sign up for too many things, and I mean, you have good intentions, but whatever you sign up for, do it well, and be committed, and you're going to shine. You see, we think that, well, I don't want to say no, I don't want to disappoint anybody, but that's not, I just say, listen, i got other commitments, I have a family, i got to be with my children, i got to take them to the, the whatever commitments, and, and that's, that's, that's an appointment. So tell people you have another appointment. But Luke, over here, Paul is telling Timothy, bring, tell John Mark to come, he is useful for me. In the ministry, also another person was useful. Look at this, in, in Philemon one eleven, Paul writes, and who formerly uh, regarding Onesimus, Onesimus was a slave who ran away from his master Philemon, and and uh, in fact he may have taken something with him, and so here back then any slave that ran away should be would be punished and it could be uh, killed, but he ran away and he came to Christ and and he believed in Christ and he. Uh, and Paul is saying that who formerly Onesimus was formerly useless to you, writing to the master, but now is useful to both you and to me. Because Onesimus was helping Paul, even though Paul was in a Roman prison, he would minister to them there in prison. So there are times when people may not seem to be useful. You may think, well, how can I be used by God? I want to be used by God. I want to do something great for God. In fact, that's what I remember praying at one time. I said, God, use my life. I want to be used by you. I want to be somebody that can be used in the ministry for you or whatever you want to use my life for, Lord. Use me. As, as, have you ever prayed that? God, use me. I want to be used for the master. And, and that's, I think, what should be all of our prayers, to be used by God. So. What we're seeing here in Timothy is how to be used by God in an effective way and following the scriptures. So how to be a vessel of honor and going back to 2nd Timothy chapter 2 verse 21 read, read let's read this out loud together. Therefore if anyone cleanses himself from the latter he will be a vessel for honor sanctified and useful for the master prepared for every good work. So Paul is using the analogy that in a, in a great house, in a, uh, uh, this home, whatever home it is, you have different utensils for different purposes. You have the potato peeler for, you know, you know doing potatoes and carrots. Very useful, very uh, important tool. And, but, you know, some of you, how about a can opener? You know, you use a can opener and then all of a sudden, I don't know what it is, but our can openers get jammed right in the middle. It's like, this thing is useless. I can't, what, you know, just have you ever thrown a can opener across the room? Okay, well, I, uh, well, you know, that's an analogy, right? It's a figure of speech. But it's just like, it's like, I don't know how many can openers we got. If Yvonne and I would go to Walmart or whatever, let's get a real good can opener this time. This thing is going to last. I mean, only six cans later. And it's like, okay, let's throw this thing. Where do we, let's go get rid of it. But, In fact, when I was in, um, I used to work for a deli in San Jose. I was was the guy behind the counter and made pizzas. People came, (laughs) asked for pizzas, and then we had chicken in the rotisserie going, and and I'd make spaghetti, and and I would uh, use this big can opener where you put the big one-gallon can down on the table, and you push down on the lever and slam it, and, and it was a real fast, big, giant can opener, and it served a great purpose for like a restaurant-style atmosphere. And that's the kind of can opener we all need to buy, right? I mean, that's, it does the job. It's useful for its purpose. But what Paul is saying here, that within a church you have vessels of honor, very useful people for God. But what was happening here in the church, there was people that were trying to destroy the church with bad teaching And heresy and they were coming and talking to the christians and say wait a minute what don't believe what paul is teaching here or what timothy is teaching that let me tell you a different way and that's why he says therefore anyone who cleanses himself from the latter the bad teachers he will be a vessel of honor for honor and then he uses these three words sanctified and useful for the master who's the master that's jesus prepared for every good work and so in a great house, and a church, in and, and the work of God, God is saying that I want you to be ready for these three things. Number one, to be sanctified. That's personal holiness. Sanctified means being holy, being cleansed, no longer living that old lifestyle, that lifestyle that, that the people do on, on whatever you... Uh, I mean, it's just like your old buddies. Hey, let's go out. We're going to go out and have a good time and do the old things that we used to do. And he said, wait a minute. I've been sanctified. I'm no longer doing that old lifestyle anymore. I'm living for Jesus now. And I, because God has called me to a holier life, a standard of living. So if you want to be used by God, sanctify, holiness, living for Jesus. And then also useful for the master means personal obedience that i means i'm going to read my bible and do what god tells me to do i'm going to be committed to the word of god so what is a vessel of honor the number three prepared for every good work every good work as personal zeal and that whatever you do do it zealously for god so so far in this verse we're seeing these three things but then he continues on and tells us other things. But look what it says here in 2 Corinthians 9 8. Because a lot of people think, well, how can I be used by God? I am worthless. I am nobody. I can't do it. I don't have the the gifts or I don't have the abilities. Maybe those guys over there, that Bible study, they're all, man, they know how to read their Bible and they know how to do it, but I don't. But then Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9 8, and God, let's read this out loud, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that whoop, so that always having all sufficiency in everything you may have an abundance for every good deed in your bible put a star by this circle it dog ear your bible take out your marker just do it just i mean this is such an incredible verse such a powerful verse that will change your life because the reason why Christians do not do great things for God is because we're constrained by thinking that God is not using you, and God is saying, I want to use your life. And that's why it says God is able to make all grace, whatever, that's only grace comes from God abound to you. So that always having all, and I look, look at how many times have you heard somebody, don't say always, or don't say never, don't say because but look what the Bible says. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency, that means all adequacy, all, everything that you need in everything you may have an abundance for every good deed. That means if you're living for God, you say, I'm going to be I'm going to commit my life to Jesus. There's nothing that can hold you back from doing incredible, great things for God. What constrains us is our limitations in faith and saying, well, I don't, God isn't giving me enough grace. Maybe he's given that to some other people, but not to me. And God is saying, I've given grace to you and that my son Jesus died for your sins. He has cleansed you and washed you. You are ready now to be used by me. Do not let anybody tell you you're not useful. You can be used by God because I've equipped you with these incredible gifts from God. And then the first issue here on the useful vessel for God, going back to now continuing on in 2 Timothy, a useful vessel for God, number one, has a discerning mind. You see, if you want to be used by God, you need to be discerning and not to be deceived by what the false teachers are saying. And that's why he says in 2 Timothy 2.23, let's read it out loud but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing that they generate strife and that's why he says avoid foolish and the word for foolish is the word moros you get the word moronic now that was a time when people would call and that's a bad word we don't call people that i remember in school you know you, you would use that all the time in third grade and everything but i I think it's from watching the Three Stooges all the time. It was like I would come home after school and watch the Three Stooges. That was part of the vocabulary, so I would use it. But it's a, it's a real Greek word, and it's a word used for anybody that gets involved in endless disputes that are worthless and, and these religious disputes. It says, wait a minute, why are you arguing those issues? That's not where Christ wants us to go. He doesn't want us to get into moronic, ignorant disputes Knowing that they generate strife. What happens when you get in an argument with somebody? All of a sudden it gets heated, you get arguing and, 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 and on these religious issues and, and, and it goes nowhere. God is saying is that I want you to bring people to, if they don't listen to what you're saying, and then walk away and say, Man, but I'm gonna keep praying for you. Tell that to an atheist. But you know, it says, avoid foolish, and void is paratomai, say parietomai. Hera means what? Alongside. alongside. Tomai, to means the shun, decline, to refuse or to avoid. So come alongside and don't, don't let these things, but avoid them and, and because they're ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. So scripture is very clear on this. And what God wants us to do is not to argue it, but to be loving and that's hard and that's but look what the bible says in philippians 4 8 finally brethren whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is a good report let your mind dwell on these things what does your mind dwell on and that's what god is saying is that a christian a person who is following me is not going to get into endless disputes on religious things with people that are not even listening, but you're going to be honoring God, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, right, pure, lovely, good report. Let your mind dwell on these things. Because whatever your mind is dwelling on, those, that's what you're talking about. And that's what you're, be, you're acting on. And God is saying, I want you to dwell on the good stuff. And then you're going to be loving and caring and honorable and right before God. And look what it says in Proverbs 18. Arguments with fools is foolish because a fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. You know, when you're arguing with somebody that is really not looking into Scripture, they're just speaking their own mind. And you know what? They're not listening to you, are they? And they're just trying to talk faster than you are, and, and the best thing the Bible says is don't get in arguments with those people because they're not going to listen to you anyway a fool does not delight in understanding but only revealing his own mind and you know what if you keep quiet and you're in a group of people people think you're intelligent but as soon as you open up your mouth oh, I can, I, uh, you know for the longest time and that's why it's so important just only speak think through your words and then speak them wisely but always back them up with scripture because scripture will support the wisdom of God now Share God's love with our argument. Look what it says in First Peter. But sanctify, let's read it out loud. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So, always be ready. Even though somebody may try to, they don't believe in Christ or they don't believe in, in Christianity. They don't believe in, in what you're doing always speak in love and and it says be ready to give an answer be ready to give a defense to everybody but if they don't want to hear it don't argue it just let them seek god so the second thing that we need to do be doing is to be useful vessel for god is to do it in a gentle manner do it in a gentle manner this is what god is commanding the church and that whatever we do is always christ-like and that's why second timothy 2 4 says and a servant of the lord must not quarrel but be gentle to all able to teach now this is something that that i know that is difficult because i know that in fact raising children i mean i was listening to a young mom the other day just uh, you know young moms or well any mom I mean, when the kids get out of hand First thing mom's doing is just, get back over here, right? And you know moms do that because we're trying to protect our children. As soon as they go towards the street, moms just shout, and that you're trying to warn them because you don't want them to get in danger. But what the Bible says here, a servant of the Lord, and I love the word servant because the word for servant is doulos. Say doulos. doulos. And it's a slave, devoted to another's will. You're a servant of God, a slave to God. And not in the bad sense, but you say, man, I love my master so much that I will do anything he says. And who is the master? That's Jesus. He's the Lord. Kurios is the Greek word. Kurios, Lord, the servant wants to please his master. And you're ready to stand by your master, and you're ready to serve your master, and you're ready to do his will. Now, it's so incredible because what it says here in Galatians 6, one, Read this with me out loud. Brethren, if a man has overtaken any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, and that's why even in the church, when somebody trips up and they fall, you don't condemn them. You don't put them down, but you say, listen, brother, I'm praying for you. I know you took a stumble there, and you're, you're walking, you're trying to serve God, and, and, and you just, you blew it. But you know what? God is able to forgive you. You know what I want to do? I want to stand by you, and I want to pray with you, and I want to work with you through whatever issue you're going through, and let's, let's work on it together, okay? Let's, 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 let's get us back into, into fellowship. Restore that one to fellowship with a spirit of gentleness. See, the church is not about condemning, and it should never be about putting down other people or other Christians or anybody, but it's always about how can I bring people to Christ in gentleness and restore them. And it's the same way with families and in marriages. We, we Husbands and wives, you work with each other in gentleness to restore one, if, just to always equip and to, to build up. Because in marriage, it's tough, and it's always... We don't want to be arguing with each other, husbands and wives. We want to be loving one another, building each other up in gentleness. Now, amen, men? Okay, we've got, to get, we've got to do that. Now, what the Bible says, continuing on, regarding the role model of Jesus. And Jesus is our role model for gentleness. Look what it says in 1 Peter for to this out loud to say this out loud for to this you were called because christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps following the steps of jesus just think of how jesus performed and behaved and the words that he said a spirit of gentleness now of course. There was the temple scenes. That was the times when he took the scourge and the whip. Because you know why? Those people were mocking God's temple. And they were selling animals in the temple. And they were taking profit. And money changers were in the temple. And they were uh, trying to cheat people out of their money. And and, and that was not an appropriate place to do any type of business like that. And Jesus walked into the temple and he took the tables of all the the money changers money and he overturned the temples and he he took a whip and he started just chasing people out the money, all the people that were trying to make profit in the temple of God. And that was appropriate and that was very dignified and very uh, deliberate, purposeful uh, power of God's work in order to cleanse the temple. But what Jesus did was always work to restore people's lives. And that's why when Peter came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Peter, will you follow me? You know what, tonight you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. And, but Jesus knew that. And sure enough, Peter denied Jesus three times. But you know what? Jesus told Peter, I love you, and I'm going to stand by you. And that's why in John chapter 13, when he tells him that, and then in John chapter 14, the next verse, is says, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would tell you, but I go to prepare a place for you, Peter. Just think, Peter is going to deny Jesus, but Jesus tells Peter, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my kingdom. And that's the gentleness of God. That's the power of God. And that's why the third issue and to be used full vessel for God is that you have to have a humble spirit if you want to be used in God's kingdom. This is what Paul is telling Timothy. He says in verse 25, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. In humility, correcting those. You know what? We... And anytime we want to correct somebody, how do we do it? We use sharp words. We kind of hammer on somebody and we kind of, hey, that's not the way you do it. This is the way you do it. And let me sh- move out of my way. And, and, and because that's human nature. And that's not God's way. And that's, how not, that's not how God works in the church. It says, in humility, correcting one another, and those who are in opposition. Now, you know your opponent in the football field, you don't be gentle with them, right? And your opponent in the football field, linebackers, how many, okay, (laughs) you're kind of rough with them. And that's the way it works in the outside world. Um, Tony, Marine Corps guy, how many of you are in the Marines here? Okay, John, they don't teach you to be gentle in the Marine Corps, do they? There's a time and a place to be tough and we need a tough military, and praise God for our military, amen? We're out there and training, equipping, and serving our country to keep our freedom. There's a time for that. And praise God for you guys and, and women who are serving our nation in that capacity. But when God is saying that in the church, there's going to be those who are going to be misled and those who are not really doing it right, but you know how you win them and change their lives and get them back on course? In humility, you correct them. And in humility and love, those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, so that they will stop doing their dumb stuff. Because as, as Christians, we do dumb things. Uh, I mean, we just do crazy things. And Whoa, did you see that? what that Christian did? He did a real big, dumb thing. Well, join the club. I mean, we're all a part of it. But you know what? I love it when somebody corrects me in love, in gentleness, and humility. And that's how I change. Not by, Louie, you're an idiot. Where's my Bible? I really want to let you have it right over the head with this thing. This is a good two-pounder, five-pounder. We're going to really let you have it. Because you're really dumb. And you know what? That, that, that's not the discipline of the Lord. That's human nature. And we love to use our human nature to... Uh, but that's what God said, that's not my love. My love is use humility. Timothy, I'm telling you, as a pastor of a church, you're going to have a lot of sheep that are going to go astray. But your job as a a shepherd and a loving pastor is to bring them in with humility. You see, a shepherd in Bible times and any type of shepherd, if you watch the shepherd, there's a good book called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, but if you go to Amazon, you can order an incredible book about God's love and God's discipline in the church. But a shepherd who leads his sheep leads by example, and he leads the sheep to still waters, and he leads the sheep to the green pastures, and, and he restores them, and he, and he shows them with gentleness. And if a, a sheep gets injured, he carries it on his back and if it's slow and and he knows how to put it over his shoulders that little lamb that's is lagging behind to protect it from the wolves. He does it in gentleness. But if you're a cowboy and you're driving cattle, you're you're whipping and you're ha, you know, just getting those cattle in there. Because cattle, that's a different analogy. And God doesn't use the analogy for us as, as cattle. He uses the analogy of sheep and that we're sheep aren't really the smartest animals in the world. In fact, they're kind of, well, what's the word? Uh, just moronic, you know. They're, they're just really doing their own thing, and you're like, danger is over here, and there's a wolf, and they go, oh, hi, wolf, how are you doing? And, and they're not they not paying attention. And the shepherd has to chase away the wolf, and he has to beat the wolf and get it away to protect that little lamb. That's what the Lord does. He corrects us in humility and in love. And that's why we do it with each other. We do love and correcting in a marriage and with our children. We do it in love, with humility. Always, because look what it says. And and the word for uh, humility is the word praetis. Say praetis. Gentleness, mildness, meekness, all the uh, descriptions of the characteristics of Jesus. And that's what the Bible is saying, how we should behave in the church. And the word for repentance is metanoia, 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 repentance, to change one's mind for better, the results in change of direction. And so you always want to help somebody change for the better. And that's real Christian love and humility. And people change because they see that you've approached them in that humble, loving, gentle spirit. And that's how people want to be, uh, be corrected. And that's how we all want to be uh, uh, approached whenever we're going to the wrong direction. Hey, listen, you get away from that cliff. You're going to fall. Okay, bring you over here in gentleness. Because if you yell at them, they go, whoa! And they go over the cliff because you scare them over the cliff. And God is saying, I want you to do it in that gentleness. to change one's mind for the better results in a change of direction. So in 2 Corinthians 7, 9, it says... Look what Paul is telling the church. I rejoice not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. It was the will of God that made you sorrowful. It was the will of God that... God that you repent. You see, only God can make you repent. Only God can bring you to that point of repentance and what the Corinthian church was doing they were getting into bad things uh, there was sinful sexual things that were going on in the church idolatry the church members were going terrible directions and paul was writing these letters and 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 saying you are going against god and he was severe in his letters But he says, I rejoice that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. And that's what correction is in the church. And that's what correction is in all of our lives, that we need correction to be be made sorrowful so that we will repent and get back to God. Metanoia, to repentance, to change our direction of our heart, our walk. We're going to the bad direction, metanoia, now we're going to repent and go do a 180. And towards God. So, the last issue here, the be useful vessel for God, is a compassionate attitude. And these are incredible attributes within the church that God is saying that you need to do in order to be used by God, Timothy. And he says, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, of God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. And the word for know is the word epigonosco, <laughs> and it's the full knowledge the deep knowledge. And anytime you have a compound word or that prefix in front of the root word, epi, it's like it's on top of, it's that full knowledge. And gnosko, uh, the knowledge, and as even uh, uh, just uh, this information that you have now in order to change your life. So they may know the truth, the epi gnosko, the full knowledge, the deep knowledge of God, his truth. And he says in verse 26, And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken out captive by him to do his will. And you think, well, how can a a Christian be taken captive by the devil and be ensnared by the devil? I mean, it can happen. All of us are living in this world, and there is a devil, there is Satan, who will try to deceive you and take you away from God. I mean, and we have to look out for that. Look what the word for anapheo, for return to soberness for senses. Return to soberness, Christian. Return from that drunkenness, that stupor of following the evil one and get back to God. And that's why in 1 Timothy 3, 7, moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside the speaking of the Christian pastor, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil you see there, is that even as a pastor, he's taught, Paul is writing to Timothy regarding, as being a pastor, you need to have these characteristics of God or else you're going to fall into the snare of the devil. It can happen to a pastor. And it has happened to pastors. I mean, we, we hear stories of pastors going away from God because they fell into that snare of Satan. And there's a pastor here in, in Mira Mesa who just really blew it and uh, he's going to be going to prison for a lot of many years because of a deception and money because he fell into that snare of the devil and that happens to people in the ministry that want to serve God if you're not following the truth you can be get sucked into those lies of of sex and and power and and and, and money and that will because it was a way out for a time but it was the snare of the devil that destroyed them What God is trying to do in our church, and the most important thing is is that He wants us to be used by God. He wants to use your life. And if you follow these commandments, you're going to see the progress of God in your life, but it comes through diligence and being committed to the truth. How many of you want to be used by God? I mean, I want to be used by God more and more and more, and the only way I know I can do that is if I get into God's Word and open it up, read it, and follow it, and obey it. You know what? God is doing great things in this church. I see him changing your life. He's doing awesome things, but the most important thing that he's doing is I see the love growing, and the love that is being cherished here, because we are committed to his word. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the power of your word, how it's changing every single one of us, that no longer are we going into that direction that is leading us away from you but we're moving to the light to christ in love and humility and gentleness and and these characteristics that you told timothy lord i pray that today that our hearts will be bonded and knitted together in love in christ that as we get into your word we will abandon the things that are taking us away from you and we will pursue righteousness And if you're here this morning, if you're seeking God, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me silently right where you're seated. If you want to accept Christ as your Savior, if you want to change your life, if you want to be used by God, just pray this prayer with me silently right where you're seated. Dear God, I need a change in my life. And I need you, Jesus, to come in to my heart. And I invite you into my life to be my Lord, my God, and my Savior. I believe that you did die on the cross. I believe that you were buried, and you rose again on the third day. And so today, Lord, I commit my life to you. Help me where I'm weak, because you know my weaknesses. But I want to be more like Christ. I want to be more like Jesus. And Lord, help me to do that. And I know that I can, because you are in me now and that your grace is sufficient for all things and able to give me everything that I need where I'm lacking. And so Lord, today, I thank you for this new change of heart and vision and mindset. And and Lord, I uh, I am weak, but you are strong. So come into my life now. And all God's people said,